You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Today we want to talk about the Holy Spirit of God. For those of you who are Kingsway members, you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we've been digging into the Holy Spirit of God. We believe that God is Father, Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God in us for those of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and received Him as our Lord and Savior. We wrote this message special just for this online service. So if you're a member and you're watching online, this is going to connect a lot of dots for you. And if you're visiting with us, either now on March 15th or down the road, uh, we hope this message is encouraging to you. So if you want to open up a Bible, whether a paper or digital, to Romans chapter 8, you can follow along with us and kind of see what I'm talking about in there. And if not, you can just listen along right now. Let's start with this question. Ready? Have you ever been so overcome with emotion that you just wanted to scream? You had to let it out somehow. I've had many times in my life this is true. I'm an expressive kind of person. For those of you who know me, that won't surprise you. Uh, but let me just tell a couple quick stories. So one time when I was in Little League, uh, my team was just average that particular year. We weren't great. We went into the playoffs and somehow we just kept winning. And I was going up against one of my friend's teams. And I remember because they were really, really, really good that year. And I was sad because we weren't as good as them. Well, got into the last inning and we were winning. And I was at second base and a line drive was hit by uh, one of my friends. And I made a diving catch. One of those ones where the ball is sticking half out of the mitt and half into the mitt. And I, I wasn't 100% sure that I caught it. And I looked up from the dirt, the dust flying everywhere. And there's the ball in my mitt. And I was all excited. And one of my other friends was on second base and it just started running towards third. And I got up and kind of gingerly tossed the ball to the shortstop who'd come over and he tagged the base. And we got a double play. And I'll never forget because I look up and my dad, who's, I was probably 11 years old, my dad, who's maybe only 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but he's a, he was a, a strong guy. And he is running at me full speed. And I jumped up into his arms and he's screaming and cheering and the whole team surrounded us. And then the ref came over and told us that was only two outs and we had to go back and take our positions again. And it was kind of a funny, awkward moment. But I'll never forget, there was so much emotion in that moment where he's yelling and screaming and jumping up and down. The place is going crazy. There's another one, though, that wasn't quite as good, wasn't quite as positive. One time at my last job, um, I had blown it on a couple things. Nothing at all immoral, nothing at all illegal. But uh, my leadership decided they wanted to get my attention and so they were kind of disciplining me, for lack of a better phrase. And I was on the phone when I was being told what they were going to do. And I was frustrated because I felt like they didn't understand my side of it. And I hung up the phone and thankfully I didn't have any kids. Kids, if you're at home listening to this, I don't recommend this. But I took the phone and to express my emotion, I threw it across the room and hit the wall and it shattered the phone and broke it into pieces. And my wife's like, who are you right now? You crazy person. And I just remember having so much emotion build up. I just let it out in that moment. And by the way, I should say now, Many years later, my leadership was absolutely 100% right. But this is kind of what happens when emotion overtakes us, right? Sometimes we lose control. It could be a football game and your team scores and wins. Ah, it could be the opposite because I'm a Cleveland fan, you know, whether it's the Browns or whatever, and we never win. And it's like, and you just, you ever had that where you have so much built up, you just can't hold it in anymore? Well, there is a biblical pattern for this. This is not uncommon at all in the Bible. And I want to show it to you. And Romans chapter 8. So turn with me. Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 14. Because it's starting to lay this foundation we're standing on for, for this expressive emotion. Ready? Verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. What Paul's beginning to lay out, he's done this from the beginning of Romans all the way to now. 
in early Romans chapter one, he's trying to lay out this idea that uh, all of us have sinned. It doesn't matter if you're a Roman or a Jewish person. So chapter one is really the Romans have sinned, the Gentiles. Chapter two is the Jewish people have sinned. You're no better than them. And then chapter three is all of us have sinned, all of us. And all of us have fallen short of God's glory. And he's building on, because of that, we all needed a savior. And so when he gets to Romans seven, even now Paul's beginning to express he himself has sinned. And in Romans seven, Paul's saying, look, even I don't always do what I want to do. In fact, the good I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I don't want to do, I do do. And so when he gets to Romans 8, this is the power of where we're going. He says, but praise be to God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what he's saying is when you come to Jesus Christ, when you come to Jesus Christ, you give him your life. He fills you up with the power of God, the Holy Spirit living inside you. So now what he's saying is for those of you who are led by the Spirit, you are the children of God. Then he goes on verse 15. The spirit that you received when you received Jesus Christ does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. What Paul is trying to get to is even though sometimes we do the thing we don't want to do or don't do the thing we do want to do, we don't have to live in fear anymore. We now are sons and daughters of God. We are children of the most high king. The phrase I would use when I was a youth pastor is you are now princes and princesses of the king. And that says something. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to build on. This connectivity, this idea of relationship. Now, Paul's never actually been to the church in Rome. He's sending a letter to a church that exists that somebody else planted and started, and he wants to visit them. And he said, look, I've got to go over here to Jerusalem. There's this terrible famine going on. I've got to deliver the money that I've collected to help them and to serve them. And I'm going to go over there and deliver the money. And then when I'm done doing that, I'm going to come over and I'm going to visit you. And I'm going to spend some time with you to build up your faith and pour my life into you. And I want you to send me beyond you. This is throughout the book of Romans. I want you to send me beyond you so that I can take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And as he's writing this letter to them, they're experiencing intense persecution. It's coming at all angles. It's coming from the the Jewish non-Christian believers. It's coming from the Gentile Romans rulers and others. And the Christians are really being treated poorly. But he's trying to encourage them in their faith and say, hang on, whether you're experiencing suffering from the creation itself, from the famine and from these other things going on, or whether it's from the hands of people, you need to know who and whose you are. And let that sink in for a minute. I realize there may be running around in your room right now, uh, little kids or middle schoolers, elementary or whatever, and let this sink in for a minute. If you don't get anything else, you don't make it through this whole message, this whole video, I want you to grab this one. You belong to God. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a prince and a princess of the great high king, and he loves you and he adores you. And in fact, the very spirit that he gave us makes us part of his family so that now we cry out, Abba, Father. This word, cry out. I love it. It's the word kradzo in Greek. And it, check this out, ready? L- little lesson for all the kids in the room. It's an onomatopoetic term that means a raven's caw. Now, you may not know what onomatopoetic means. It's an onomatopoeia. Do you remember this from school? Any of you? An onomatopoeia is a word that actually sounds like what it is. So for instance, kids, you ready? Knock, knock. This is where you're going to talk to the TV and act like I can hear you. And you're going to say, right. Who's there? Who's there? And I'm going to say, boo. And you're going to say, what? Boo who? And I'm going to say, oh, don't cry. I was only joking. Ha ha ha. Okay. So the word boo and the word boo who 
it sounds like what it is, right? It sounds like you're crying. It, that's where the word comes from. It's an onomatopoeia. And there's lots of these, right? Like pow and slam and all these different things. Even the word belch, these are onomatopoeias. Well, in Greek, this word is similar. It's an onomatopoetic word, and it literally means a raven's call. It'd be like if you were trying to mimic it in Greek, you'd say something like kradzo or whatever. And the whole idea here is we express ourselves, we cry out with something that is overwhelming, and it's an onomatopoeia, but it, it has a word attached to it. And the word that we're expressing is not a raven's call. It's not this expressive, Rah! it's this idea we say, Abba! Now, what is Abba? Abba is a Greek Aramaic term that it's a term of endearment that expresses profound relationship. So I don't know about you or your home and your growing up. I, I know a few people like this. It seems like America has moved a little bit in a good way, but I know some homes and especially back in the past, dads and children had a relationship of respect and honor and such that you might not even look and call him dad. You might call him father or something very, very formal. And I think the idea is when we come to God, sometimes we think of God as very formal and formal could create distance. Now, what I'm about to say, I don't want to take it too far. It's this tension we want to live here in the middle. But the idea of Abba is the very word that, God, that Jesus calls his heavenly father, God. And he teaches us to call him that because the word Abba has wrapped up in it this closeness, this proximity, this relationship, this idea that we could actually call on our daddy. It's the best English word that I could give you to communicate the concept of Abba. That doesn't change who God is. He's still the creator of the universe. He still has all the power of the untold power to actually speak into being stars and planets and trees and every animal and bug and insect and everything. He's still that powerful God, but he wants you to know him through the power of the Holy Spirit in you through a personal relationship where you can look at him and cry out. You can actually verbally express yourself in times of frustration and in times of hurt and in times of confusion and say, Daddy, help. I need you. Where are you? I think that's a very relevant message for where we are right now with all this stuff going on. There's a reason we're not gathering together in person. And there's this tragedy, this chaos that's happening, not just here, but worldwide. And it's bad. And it's important in times like these to remember whose you are. You belong to the great high king. And he has created a path for you to cry out in your frustration and in your emotion and say, Daddy, I need you. Help. Was it too long ago, one of my kids hurt himself. And the first thing he said is he looked at me, he said, Dad, I need you. I had to get up from my chair and run over and make sure that he was safe. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with you, that you feel safe to draw into your father's presence, climb up in his lap and say, I need you, daddy. So here's a question before we go any further. Uh, how do you receive a relationship with God like this? Well, we believe that this only comes through the presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That Jesus came to reveal to you God's love and to build a bridge for you to walk across to get back to God. In actually the book of Romans chapter 6, Paul gives us his confidence. He says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. What Paul is building to, it's much bigger than just what I'm connecting for you today, but what Paul is building to is the reason that God gave us the gift of baptism is so that we could mark this day when we could make a decision for Jesus Christ. We are still planning on a big Easter celebration. At this point in time, we have no idea yet what the future holds. We're going to let this unfold day by day and week by week. But if things continue the way that we're planning on this Easter, we already have six people signing up to be united with Jesus Christ in baptism. And what they're doing in that moment is they're simply crying out, Abba, Father, take me, make me part of your family. Mark me with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the old them goes under the water and the new them comes up out of the water and they're filled with life. I just wanna encourage you, you can still sign up and do that even now, planning on that for Easter. Even still at home, you can find that on our website at kingswaychurch.org. Now. Jumping back into Romans chapter 8, what I want to do is I want to walk you through where we are, why we're here, what do we do about it? Where we are, why we're here, what do we do about it? And I'll do that much quicker than it sounds like. All right, ready? Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, let's just unpack that before we move on. What he's trying to say is, no matter what you're going through right now, market just crashed, your retirement account just crashed. You make your living off the market. You're not being able to work. You don't have enough money. You're not sure how you're going to pay your bills. Whether it's your kids are home 24 hours a day, seven days a week for four weeks in a row. You're just like going crazy. There's stress in your marriage. There's stress in your home. Maybe you actually got sick and you're dealing with all the outcomes of that. Whatever it is you're dealing with, what Paul is saying, whatever it is, our present sufferings are nothing compared to what God has in store for those who love him. It's nothing compared to what we will experience one day. The one day is when Jesus returns and we get to join him in his eternal glory. When that day comes, what Paul is saying is don't live for the now. Don't sacrifice the peace, the love, the joy, the glory of eternity for the temporary. Yes, sometimes life is hard. Yes, sometimes life is confusing. God is no less good. Hang on to him. Verse 19. Now he's getting into some deep kind of theology stuff for us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That is a very theologically, doctrinally rich statement that if you read it on your own, you might just go gobbledygook, gobbledygook, move on to something more interesting. In essence, what Paul just said right there in those few verses is he basically said, Creation doesn't look like it's supposed to. It doesn't act like it's supposed to. Where do earthquakes come from? Where does famine come from? Where do viruses come from? And the list could go on and on and on. It's because the creation is not acting in the way that God intended for it to act. This is not how God created it. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God told them there is now a curse upon the earth because of your choices. And so Paul is beginning to build to the entire creation All of the animals, all of the birds, all the trees, all the fruit, all the vegetables, all the herbs, all of it, the weather, all of it, viruses, sickness, all of it is because of sin. And the entire creation is waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Meaning, they're waiting desperately for Jesus to come to bring his kingdom of heaven to earth in us, through us, finally and completely so that everything can be made right and be made new again. 
So these things that are radically changing our culture and the way things are happening right now, the way that we're pausing church on Sunday to do this, all of this live online, all of this is a byproduct of sin. And here's the thing. The creation is groaning to be set free. It is literally expressing itself in frustration because it's being subjected by sin. Take a look. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Paul actually says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, every lady in the room who is a mother understands this connection, right? The whole idea here, what Paul is saying is that the entire creation is crying out. When you see an earthquake, when you see a, a tornado, when you hear about a virus, the earth is crying out of pain. It doesn't want to deal with this anymore. It's trying to give birth to something better, to something more beautiful, but it's being subjected to sin. And the whole creation is groaning in those pains. It's groaning as a woman is pushing and trying to give birth to something better and more beautiful, and it can't deliver what it needs. And the creation groans. But the creation alone isn't the only thing being expressive. We also are groaning. Take a look. God's children are actually groaning. And Look at verse 23. Not only is the creation groaning, Paul says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, what Paul's trying to say is right now we're waiting and we are dealing with this creation that is not doing what it's supposed to do. It's not performing the way it's supposed to perform. And we're also fighting against our own flesh our own flesh that keeps running from God and rebelling against God and doing the thing that it shouldn't do and not doing the thing that it should do. And creation's waiting for God to come so that we can get it all together. And we're waiting for God to come so we can stop being a part of this world of sin and death and all of it's wrapped up. So the creation's groaning and we're groaning. He says in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, and we wait for it patiently. And here's a big takeaway before I close today. A lot of us are looking around at, at sick people and loved ones, people who are hurting through this season. And what you need to know is those of us who are Christians, we are filled with the Holy Spirit by the love of God. We are desperately, hopefully waiting for that day. I joked earlier about being a Cleveland sports fan. It is a sad reality for me. Having grown up in Northeast Ohio in the Akron area, uh, I've been a Cleveland fan my whole life, and most of my life has been full of sadness. And um, we literally say in Northeast Ohio, uh, maybe next year. In fact, one of my friends was part of creating a website. I think it was called waitingfornextyear.com as he was just waiting as a Cleveland sportsman. Maybe next year, maybe next year. We're always hoping maybe next year we'll get the right players. Maybe next year, a better coach. Maybe next year, the whole thing will turn around. Maybe, maybe, maybe. That is not what the Bible means when it describes hope. When the Bible describes hope, it is a confident expectation of what is to come. What Paul is trying to say here is, we have a confident expectation that Jesus is going to come and do everything that God has promised he will do, but it has not come yet. So what do we do in the waiting? We wait patiently. We wait patiently for God to come and set us all free. We wait patiently for God to come and do what he said he would do. And in the meantime, we hang on to our faith, even in the midst of the questions. So creation is groaning in the meantime, and we are groaning in the meantime. But there's one more person groaning in Romans chapter 8, and it's God himself. Take a look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, 
but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is powerful. See, whatever you're going through, whatever struggle, whatever strife, whatever suffering, God did not leave you alone in that. He is with you right here, right now. And while creation is crying out and we're seeing bad and evil things happen, and while our bodies and our hearts and our minds are crying out and we're struggling and suffering and wondering where God is, instead of God leaving us, as say the deist would say, that God created everything and set it in motion, he's distant, no, no, no. We are monotheists and we believe that God is with us, that God is for us, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is actually in us. That He is here with us right now and the Holy Spirit inside us actually cries out on our behalf. And what exactly does this mean? There's lots of things I could say, but I think in the very least it means this. When you don't even know what to pray, when you don't even know how to pray, when you don't know what direction to give your prayers, but there's something in you that is aching. You ever have a loved one and you're watching them suffer or struggle? You ever gone through something yourself and you just don't know where the answer is? And you're thinking to yourself, ah, I just don't, I don't know what to say, God. And the Holy Spirit goes on your behalf to the Father and he says, this is what's in their heart. This is what they need to ask for. This is what they need prayed. And the purpose of what Paul is saying, the reason that's powerful is you don't have to have all the answers. God's got them. And he's got you. It'll be okay. You could trust him in that and hang on to that and just keep praying. This is how we get to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Listen, if you're a Christian right now, that's you. That's you. God loves you and he's called you in this season, for His purposes. I realize that creation is groaning and there's suffering going on. And I realize your own flesh is crying out and there's suffering going on. But God is with you. And He's called you for His purposes. Hang on to that. Above all else, hang on to that. Now, I want to give a little pastoral advice as we kind of wrap up our time here today. Back in Romans 8, 19, Paul said this, and I want to build off this. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What he's saying in very Paul-like language, again, is when Jesus comes back, the eternal kingdom will be set up and everything will be made right. The, the entire creation will look like it did, however that looks, in the garden. Again, peace and love and safety and joy and all of us who love God will be joined together. There will be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears and no more evil. But here's the thing, I don't want you to miss this. If you're a believer right now, I want you to hear this. We live in the land of the already and the not yet. The already, in that Jesus has already come, he's already conquered Satan, sin, and death. He already is good enough and powerful enough for you right here, right now. And when you live your daily life for him, you are bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. What you do makes a difference. We are not to be a people of fear. We are not to be selfish. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. We are a people filled with the spirit of God and we are bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. There's a famous father of the faith. His name is St. Francis of Assisi. And before St. Francis was a believer, many people in his day were afraid of leprosy. 
And so they would not go around them. Literally, they would move out of the way, let them go by. Sometimes they would mock them or cajole them. And, and leprosy meant many different things than it does today. But when St. Francis became a believer, it is said that when he saw a leper, one time he felt the Spirit prompt him, and he went up to him, and he kissed him. Not only would they normally not even touch or get near leper for fear of getting the disease, instead he went up and he kissed the leper. And actually, St. Francis has this great little quote. He says this, When I was in sin, the sight of lepers nauseated me beyond measure. But then God himself led me into their company, and I had pity on them. When I became acquainted with them, what had previously nauseated me became the source of spiritual and physical consolation for me. Listen, we are not to be a people full of fear. We are to be wise. I'm not saying run around and kiss everybody who's sick. We are to be wise. But the point is, if we are not a people of fear, then we can actually run into situations and find ways to serve and find ways to help. So here's some suggestions. If you know somebody who is sick, could you possibly go over and take meals to them? Maybe cut their grass as we're coming into the spring season or help in some way in their house. Don't be a people of fear. I get it. I get it. Be smart, but don't be people of fear. I read this one online. I didn't make this up. I think it's a great idea. You know, restaurants are really going to struggle right now. People are going to avoid public contact, doing social distancing, and that's wise. We should do that. But could you go to local restaurants, go to your favorite few restaurants, and buy gift cards? Help keep those business owners afloat. Maybe take those same gift cards and give them to people who are hurting or struggling financially right now. Some people's lives are falling apart as they can't go to work. Is this something you could do to bless them, to help them, especially if you have resources? Is that something you could do? We right now are literally talking about having meetings to brainstorm other things we could do. I just thought of a few that I've just thrown out right there, but is there somebody you know, some way you know, are there doctors and nurses who are going to be putting in more time and extra hours? Could you take them meals? Could you take them waters? Could you write them encouraging notes? Could you do something just to, to light their fire and say, don't quit. We need you. Keep going. We love you. Go, go, go. And listen, if you are a spouse who is at work and your spouse had to stay home maybe to take care of the kids or you know a single mom, maybe there's something you could do with an encouraging note or offer to watch the kids or just bless them, buy flowers, something that would just be a blessing to encourage them and say, God loves you, I love you, we're bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth with us. However this message struck you, I just want to thank you for giving us some of your time today. I'm going to close in prayer that God would speak into you, that he would challenge you, and I just want to encourage you now, pause this video before I pray, Run to your cabinet, run to your refrigerator, grab some form of bread, grab a cracker, grab bread, grab a hot dog bun, whatever you got, grab something like that, uh, and then grab some sort of juice. Grape juice would be the best, hopefully you came prepared, cranberry juice will work. If nothing else, grab orange juice, it'll be a fruit of the vine, we'll make it work, or whatever you got in there. Come on back and take communion after I pray. And as you take that bread, and as you take that juice, just remember that God is good and he loves you so much and you are literally celebrating the fact that he has given you his spirit as you take that bread and you take that juice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for this opportunity. Lord, I pray that you would take these words and encourage our souls. Lord, we know that the creation does not look the way you originally created it, that it is crying out in birth pains, longing to give birth to life and to be freed from all the sin and death. Lord, we are groaning and crying out our bodies, our communities, uh, our frustration, Father, with this way that sin is ruining this world. It's so frustrating, God. But we also know that your spirit cries out with us. You are there with us. You love us. And you are literally working all things together for the good of those who love you. So, Father, we profess to you right now our love for you. We need you. We love you. And we appreciate you. And we trust you. We know you are for us. 
And we know that you are with us and we know that you are in us. So God, as we take this bread and we take this juice and we celebrate your goodness and your faithfulness, Father, meet us in this place, encourage our hearts and help us to be a people with no fear. We wait patiently for you in Jesus' name. Amen.